0: Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians.
1: Good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's, welcome to Hosanna. It's good to see you all. If you would, if you can, would you stand with me? And we're going to start out the service by watching this video. Well, let's do just that. Let's give praise to our God. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is faithful and good. Well, the chorus of this next song proclaims, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, over all, because you were, you are, and you'll be forever the King enthroned in glorious splendor. Holy, holy Lord. This is a powerful reminder of the truth of Psalm 47 8, which says, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. We can take comfort in knowing that our Lord is enthroned in glorious splendor and that he is God Almighty over all. Time, right? I think who's up? Tony's up. Come on up, Tony.
0: The worship team is going to sit down, but Sharon, you stand here for a moment. About five weeks ago, Joanne and I got up here and told you that uh, Sharon had been nominated to join our elder team. And uh, we invited your feedback on that. I made a joke, and I could do this because I know Sharon well enough, that give us the dirt on Sharon. Well, we got an email message later that day, and I want to read it to you. Attorney. this morning you requested for us to find dirt on Sharon. Come on up here, Sharon. We can testify there have been multiple times when we have seen dirt on Sharon. Talking about the great cloud of witnesses, Harriet Engel, our sister who um, left us this spring, passed away, I want to also tell you about quite a few times she would have seen dirt on Sharon. What a wonderful gardener and helper Sharon was to Harriet, and you are correct, she really cares about people. Thank you, Alvin Brandt, who's not with us this morning, but for, for finding the perfect words for our friend with, uh, with dirt on her. Uh, Sharon, we love you dearly. We thank God for you. Thanks for using your, your, your gifts here in the worship team for, so consistently for years. And now in her retirement, you know what the word retirement means? Getting tired all over again by doing other stuff. <laughs> now in your retirement, being willing to be one of the elders. And uh, yes, the elders have confirmed that appointment, and today we want to we pray over you and bless you in that role.
2: Come up and stand with Sharon and, and uh, t- Joyce and April Adi, Joyce Freimeyer are our two co-lead elders this year. So I know we're just maybe put you guys on the spot a little bit. Deb, uh, would gonna, you
0: join us as well perhaps? I, I see Rick is already up here with the staff that work the closest with the elders. And-
2: yes. And um, if April and Joyce, if you would go ahead and pray. Well, Father God, we just thank you so much for sharing,
3: Lord. We we thank you that uh, she has joined the team here with the elders. We know that your blessing is all over her, and she's going to be incredible as Mm -hmm. um, an elder in this church, uh, looking after your people. She's already been doing that, Father, and we just praise you and thank you so much. And we welcome her with all our hearts, and um, we can't wait to spend time with her.
2: Well, Lord, you know Sharon better than any of us do, Lord, and we're just so appreciative of her, and we love her so much, and we love her caring heart, Lord, and and with our elders, we that is like the most important ingredient that we care about people, and she is going to be such a great elder, and I just ask for a special blessing on her to give her energy and a just a zest and a zeal for um, caring for people, as she already really has, Lord. And um, she doesn't have any dirt on her today, and I'm grateful for that, Lord. But I just thank you so much for her, and I hope everyone can welcome her into this.
4: All right, well, Lord, Sharon is a special person. And you love her, and so do we. And we thank you, Father, that you give our elders an opportunity to care for the body and to share that love that they experience in their own lives with those around them. So, Father, today we speak a special blessing on Sharon as she continues to do what she's been doing anyway but in a capacity that is recognized. So, Sharon, we love you. Amen. Thank
2: you. Ben.
4: Thank you, Sharon.
0: Thank you the rest of the elders. The elders do so much work behind the scenes in caring for all of you and others that you probably do not see on Sunday morning. We're just grateful for who they are. Rick coordinates an awful lot of that caring work these days as our pastor of care. So, um,
4: Rick, tell us what's going on. And for those of you who are new, uh, our elder team, they are not an administrative group. They are not uh, an authoritative group. They are a group of people who care. And basically, that's the whole purpose of our elder ministries here, is to care for the, the people here in the uh, in the body, they pray for you, and uh, and they share their lives with you as well. And for those of you who don't know, you see over here. There's a over that room over there. Says prayer room. So the elders and prayer team members are there, ready to pray for you. Any needs that you may have during the course of uh, of the service, and we will also be having uh, a prayer. Healing service on October the first. We'll start doing that on a regular basis, maybe once a quarter. And the elders and prayer team members will be praying for those who have needs as well. So let's just take a moment and let's pray together again. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for a great time of music and worship. And we just tell you, Father, that we love you and thank you for all that you are. Amen and amen. By the way, it was good to have Julie back today, right? Okay, she's been in California. With her new grandson, absolutely. And uh, we had uh, Sean Woodhouse back last week after a number of weeks absence. And we have a new drummer that was here last week. Rob's not here today, I don't think. I don't think I see Rob out there anywhere. But um, if you see Rob somewhere along the line, if you recognize him uh, playing the drums next week, then say hi to him and let him know that you appreciate that as well. So, let's move on right along here. Uh, our Change for Change offering for the month of September will bless Hari and Penka, the Resurrection Church in Bulgaria, to help with Christmas gifts for their community. We keep saying over and over again, we're doing this early so that they can have money and they can purchase the, uh, the gifts that they want to give at that point in time. The adult class, we just disagree They've been having a lot of disagreements in that class, I think, I understand, anyway, yeah. And, and, and you know, with Tony and Joanne there, they, a lot of things they can disagree about, too, probably, at times. So, anyway, not never? Oh, okay, so it's shaking your heads. Okay, never, all right. Uh, it will not be held today because we will have a congregational meeting. We do this once a year, have a congregational meeting uh, after the service today, so feel free to stay for that, and there will be two more Sundays of the... We just disagree class, uh, and then after that, uh, there will be a new class that will be starting on October the 1st. Women's Fellowship has begun preparing for participation in Secret Sisters for 2024. It's open to all women of Hosanna. So Secret Sisters is a way to connect and to bless one another as you are blessed. Women, you should have received information in your mail slot. I didn't get any, okay? Just saying so you know, all right right? And if you didn't, you can pick up the paperwork at the table in the foyer or see Marianne Deemer. So even if you're not involved in the uh, uh, excuse me, women's fellowship, you can still participate in the secret sisters if you'd like to do so. The writing workshop, story carriers begins this Tuesday, September the 12th, from six until eight thirty p.m. It's not too late to sign up, and you don't have to. Be someone who is a writer. In other words, you're going to learn how to write your own story. And uh, so that's going to be a good thing to do. John Bentley, where are you? John Bentley would like to come and say hello to everybody for a moment. Say hello, John. Hello, John. Good to see you, John. Yes. Yes, give me a hug.
5: <laughs> <clears throat> well, hello, everybody. Isn't that what you tell me to tell you? Yeah. Okay, say it. Okay. Anyway, I'm here to talk about men's group. And we're starting it up again. The end of September, it's going to be on Thursday evenings. And all the information, and I'm looking at Deb, and I'm thinking, she was leaning forward, and I thought she had something important she was going to tell me, (laughs) but that's okay. Anyway, the information is all out at the desk. You can sign up out there. What is a men's group? You know, all my life, that song, God has been so, so good. He has been so, so good to me. But there's times that I go through some spots, I don't feel like he's so, so good to me but he's still there and he still is so, so good. And um, we know that the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in their midst, right? And the other part of it says, don't forsake the gathering together as a habit of some. But who the ha- who is that habit? It's mostly men. Men isolate themselves. They don't tend to get together like they should. They don't tend to get the support from other men. And this is a place where they can come and get support. And it's for basically a spiritual and psychological Improvement in their lives to help them move on and get through things and it's all in a safe environment where it whatever happens in the group stays in the group Nobody knows what goes on outside the group except for the members at the end of the time. We do pray for each other uh, To help help each other get through things. So if you're interested, it's a very small group So sign up now It's only like uh, maybe six six to eight people is what we put in the group. We want to keep it small so that we can have time to share, okay? And it's about an hour and a half, and we hold to that. We hold to that hour and a half. We don't run over. Sometimes we might go over five, ten minutes, but the objective is to stop in an hour and a half. So anybody that wants to come, please sign up, and, uh, and the other men will be there to support you. God bless you, and have a great day.
4: Thank you, John. One more thing. Spiritual formation groups. There's still time to sign up to be a part of a spiritual direction or formation group it's a small group of people meeting together with a spiritual director to listen deeply to one another and to help each other be aware of God's presence in their lives and what God is doing in their lives uh, if you're interested in being a part of a group you can sign up at the welcome Center all we need to know is when you'd like to participate during the day evening or online uh, I participated in a group with Deb and three other people last spring uh, it really, it's hard to explain exactly what it is, but what happens is each person has an opportunity just to share anything they want to share about what they're either seeing God doing in their lives or happiness that's going on in their lives or frustration that's going on in their lives or sadness. It doesn't make any difference, whatever it is, whatever's on their mind and their emotions for that particular time. And they share for a few minutes and The others are listening and listening to God, and they'll ask a few questions, and the whole goal here is for you and God to get an insight into what's going on in your life. You know, most of us, let's be honest, we don't sit down and try to say, God, what's going on in my life? Help me to see it. (laughs) Come on. Everybody smile. You know, we're busy doing everything else, and it's a time to do that. Just so you know, there's nothing
0: scary about it.
4: Nothing scary. And just like with a men's group, anything that is said there stays there. It's completely confidential. So I would encourage you, if you have even the slightest thought or inkling about it, give it a try. And if it's not for you, then it's not for you. But you might find that what you thought was not for you really is for you. Does that make sense? All right. Two of my special friends are going to come up right now.
0: Thanks, Rick. I lost my iPad. There it is.
2: Morning. Morning. are look to be- especially chipper today. You not feeling chipper? The energy was there in worship.
0: <laughs> We're going to begin today with another story. This one is, uh, well, it begins a bit personally. Fall 2009, I had a chance to go to an academic conference in Prague place I never thought I'd go, capital of the Czech Republic. And um, one evening after the conference sessions, a bunch of us, my colleagues from our university, went out to dinner late one evening at the, in the big plaza in the center of Old Town Prague where people have been gathering for a thousand years. Before we left there to go back to our, our hotel in the suburbs, uh, I snuck away for a few minutes. I went through a couple of dark alleys in downtown Prague late at night and um, and wanted to visit this church, Bethlehem Chapel. Uh, it's been there for hundreds of years, and it was a chapel where 600 years ago um, there was a very dramatic, very inspirational preacher, uh, theologian, reformer, somebody who was inspired by the love of Jesus and wanted to change the church for the better. And uh, the church was his name. His name was John Huss who uh, is now regarded as one of the founders of the Czech Republic. There is a huge weathered statue of him in the mm-hmm. plaza where we were having dinner. Um, his followers, the Moravians, are the ones who founded Lititz years later. But that night, I just wanted to just sense a bit of his spirit. And the, the church was locked up. It was late in the evening. So I just sat on a bench out there right where that, that perspective, that, that photo of the church was. It was really quiet in the night, and I just could I just could feel something of John Huss's spirit. I'm not talking paranormal here. I just mean (laughs) something 600 years on because he's one of my heroes. He's the kind of person I want to honor in my life and be like to some degree in my life. Um, And one of the things I admire about Huss is not only his love for Christ and his desire that things be as good as possible among God's people and glorify God as much as possible, but also his courage. Um, he wanted to reform the church of corrupt practices that had grown up in a time when the church had become fairly wealthy and some harmful teachings that seemed to take advantage of ordinary people, the kind of people he spoke to Sunday after Sunday. Leadership of the church didn't listen, however, so he was called to a council in Switzerland in 1409 to explain himself. And despite promises of personal safety, his explanations did not satisfy. And Mm -hmm. he was burned there, alive, Mm -hmm. at the stake. Not by Roman persecutors of the faith that we talked about in the early church here. Not by pagans who didn't like Christians, not by Muslim energies of the faith that they had fought in the crusades. He was burned alive by fellow Christians. Including some of the actual leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ, and it's almost unfathomable to comprehend, but it is true.
2: Yep, John Huss is a witness to Reformation, and it invites he invites us to look back on a chaotic, agonizing time in the story of Western Christianity, so that we might learn something from them. We can learn, yes, from what they occasionally got right, and the Reformers got a lot right. But we also need to be able to look back and learn from what they often got terribly wrong so that we can stop repeating those mistakes. For the past three weeks, we've followed the post-Romans, non-Romans, and other Romans. This map hopefully is becoming very familiar. I was talking with someone this this week who referenced the map Oh my gosh, my heart was singing. It was great. <laughs> uh, but we followed the post Romans, non Romans, and other Romans through the Middle Ages. And today we're going to focus again on Christianity in Western Europe, on those who have most influenced American Christianity. Because, you know, when some of I keep talking about my genealogy, but
5: <laughs> right. some
2: of the folks that came over on the boat. We didn't notice any of your
0: relatives in this To life.
2: Mayflower and to um, the, the Bay Colony, Massachusetts Bay Colony. We're, yeah, we're, we're going to introduce
0: a lot of people to you in this message, people whose names you may have heard of. Assume they're all related to Joanne no, unless not. she says otherwise.
2: <laughs> they're not. It's just part of the... It, it, yeah, because I always loved history. My grandson, thank you, Jesus... Loves history, and he's he's just—he's got—he's just interested in that, and it's wonderful. But I'm getting off, and I've got to save time for the practice at the end. So, we are going to be looking roughly at the years 1200 to 1600 um, this morning, and during that time, you know that a lot of the folks who were preparing to get on boats to come over to colonize. and to spread the faith because they were being persecuted. Separatists and others um, are all part of this time period. So as with every era that we've explored, we're calling attention to some of the big picture themes while we're also offering a few up-close and personal details and stories. Why? So we can better understand how the Christians of that time lived out the faith as they knew it, And also be identifying the encouragements and also the cautions that they're offering us from the past for our own time. So as we leave the Middle Ages, the landscape's changing. And we find ourselves entering a time that felt to them like a whole new beginning.
0: First, there was a a renaissance of classical culture. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with that word, right? This was the same time period as the renaissance. Mm -hmm. Renaissance means rebirth. So the people in this time period went, doing what we've been talking about doing here, looking back in order to be able to look forward. So they, they look back and said, the last thousand years were crap. We're going to go what was before that. And so they go back to the, the classical culture, the Romans and the Greeks. And they tried to recover some of that and bring forward stuff like the art and the literature and their ways of looking at the world. We're not going mm-hmm. to go into all that, but we want to note that that's part of the mix here. Yep.
2: And second, there was a rekindling of materialism. After the Crusades, as Tony said, the the European economy improved, trade increased, and the result was surplus wealth. And a lot of that wealth ended up in the church. And they invested a great deal of that wealth in creating beauty for the glory of God, like the breathtaking architecture of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and El Escorial, which is the king's palace in Spain. Um, just remarkable. You know, these buildings are 600, 500, 600 years old, and so beautiful. Also, magnificent uh, works of artists like Raphael, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yes, that's, those are the ones that those turtles were named after. And I guess they're works of art too, someone drawing. Um, so yes, the, the church in this time used its wealth in some very good ways, but also in some very bad ways, like lining the pockets of leaders and silencing those who threatened their power and their doctrine.
0: And then there was also a reimagining a monastic life. Now, we talked about that three weeks ago, how in the early Middle Ages, Benedict of Nursia started a monastic movement that actually provided some order and stability, community in the middle of chaos and disorder. And you get a thousand years later, and people are like, I don't want to go out there to some remote monastery and spend the rest of my, lives and my life. And there weren't as many people doing that. But there was now a new, more adventurous option put forward by people like Francis of Assisi which was an invitation to live a life of radical service not in the cloister, but in the world, to serve people, to not be removed from it, and to do so without any visible means of support. They relied solely on whatever people
2: gave them. Yep, yep. And another theme, um, after the, the claustrophobic fear of the Middle Ages, where everyone, I mean, they were just hunkered down and afraid all the time. Well, the Christians of this era not only rediscovered some of the treasures of the past, but they also set out in a rediscovery of the rest of the world. Voyagers like Magellan and Columbus, Marco Polo, not the thing on the phones, (laughs) Marco Polo, Amerigo Vespucci, after whom America is named, And others, other voyagers, sailed to the Americas, to India, and the Far East, while others trekked on foot into unknown areas, creating new maps as they went.
0: I'm so glad Marco Polo had a swimming pool.
2: Marco Polo.
0: (laughs) And all of this change, in what was for them a short period of time, prompted the renewal of some old fears. And of course, we know the fears motivate us greatly. Mm -hmm. They were afraid of people of other faiths. They were afraid of God's judgment on a church that they could see is growing fat and corrupt. They were afraid of the growing power of their kings. Mm-hmm. They were mostly afraid of things falling apart, of Christendom, their eye vision of this ideal unified society crumbling around them just like the old Roman Empire. And so you put all these five things together, and enough energy was generated to result in a massive Reformation movement that began, well, even before Hus and continued for a couple hundred years. And actually, there's not really one Reformation. Sometimes it's called the Reformation with a capital R. There were were at least five somewhat separate movements, each with its own leaders and its own emphases Mm -hmm. and each with its own descendants in our own time. And this might explain a little bit why there are all these different names on church buildings in our own, in our own time, five, six hundred years later.
2: Yeah, so most of these movements, are, like Tony said, are going to be familiar to you. Starting with the Lutherans, um, they were building on the legacy of, of John Huss, and, and Martin Luther stepped forward and kick-started the Reformation era. Ninety-five theses nailed to the, Witten, the door of Wittenberg Cathedral. Church. Yeah. yeah, and uh, when was that, Halloween? October 31st,
0: 1517.
2: 1517. Yeah. yeah, so Martin Luther kick-started the Reformation era, then he got kicked out of the Catholic Church, and then he kicked the Protestants into action. And Protestant comes from the word protest. That's where that comes from. They were protesters, and Tony and I were laughing on Friday, saying, well, maybe it's time to just maybe stop protesting everything. Maybe we can kind of be true to being Protestants in a way that's a little more agreeable, perhaps.
0: We get a kick out of Martin Luther. Um,
2: yeah, he was... We were
0: doing all the kicks, stuff Anyway, yeah. the second group, the Calvinists, named after a young French scholar named John Calvin. Uh, i had nothing to do with Calvin Klein jeans. John Calvin piggybacked on what Luther had started, but thought he hadn't gone far enough. So the Calvinists had a sterner understanding of God and a sterner understanding of sin. Mm -hmm. And the Presbyterians these days, some of the Baptists, churches with the word Reformed, with a capital R in their name, usually are descendants of this Reformation movement.
2: Yep. And then there were the Anabaptists. And we're living in an area of Pennsylvania where there are many, many different streams of Anabaptism. Back in this period, as the Anabaptist movement began, it was led by several different folks, which is also um, very uh, true to who they are because they were very much about community. community. But they were led by Conrad Grable in Switzerland, Menno Simons in the Netherlands, and the, uh, his followers would be called Mennonites. Not Simons. And some of you have are, been raised and formed in the Mennonite tradition. Balthazar Hubmeier, I like his name, in Germany. Um, all of these and others, they chose far more radical reform than either Luther or Calvin did. For example, they, they practiced adult baptism, which was considered heretical, completely heretical at the time. It was infant baptism in Western Christianity at that time. Um, Most of these uh, movements were pacifist. And they also believed that government officials should have no authority over their citizens' religion and no authority over the church itself. They called for the separation of church and state long before our independence movement here. Anabaptists, for these and other reasons, were hated and brutally persecuted by both of the other side. By both Catholics and Protestants.
0: And then there was another movement that happened in England, and it was, re- it was really weird. You may be more familiar with this one. Mm-hmm. King Henry VIII, the famous guy, wanted to divorce his wife and marry his mistress. The church wouldn't let him, so he mm-hmm. said boo-hoo When the church, pulled the English church out of the Roman church, and then established himself as the head of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Henry VIII, the the I am, I am. Yes. Henry VIII, I am.
0: And then, but what kind of church would it be? Well, it swung from being really Catholic to really Protestant and back again and fighting the whole time. And eventually his daughter, by that second wife, Queen Elizabeth I, reached a compromise and settled the church in in England into something that's a little bit Catholic and it's a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. Now, a little bit Catholic, (laughs) a little bit Protestant, and they called it Anglicanism, because it In comes US, from a word much,
2: meaning English.
0: Yeah, that's yes. all it means. Yeah, yeah. In the U.S., not all, but most of the Anglicans are called Episcopalians. Yeah. So that's where they fit into this.
2: Right. And what most Christians from these Reformation traditions don't know today is that there was also a Reformation movement among some Catholics during this time. Um, Catholics who recognized the need for reform but wanted to reform the church from the inside rather than the outside. Desiderius Erasmus. I just, yeah, you're the one that kind of gets enthralled with names, but there's lots of good ones this week. Desiderius Erasmus was a Dutch priest and scholar. He was also a friend of Luther, which says something about his spirit. He's Catholic, friends with Luther. Luther. And he was considered one of the greatest thinkers of the Renaissance. He was a prolific writer. He was a champion of education. And he believed that rather than burning each other at the stake, that education was the best way to reform the medieval church. So among lots of other things that he did, he produced some new translations of the New Testament at that time. Like in Greek, not only in Latin, And other translations as well. Why? So Christians could educate themselves rather than rely on the interpretations of others. That was so radical. Then that got you killed back in that day.
0: Now, reform sounds wonderful, doesn't it? This should be a happy time. And, and indeed, they did reform an awful lot of stuff. Some doctrines, mm-hmm. some practices, some doctrines and practices that came that were kind of a mixer. One of the big ones was, for instance, the, the, the practicing of indulgences. This is what Martin Luther was protesting first. That indulgences required people to pay money to shorten how long they or their loved ones would spend in purgatory. You don't want Aunt Margaret in purgatory too long. Yeah, give us some cash, and she can get out quicker. She can be sprung today. And that was really bad. And everybody recognized that it was really bad, and they fixed it um, internally. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: But I tell you, these Reformation movements also resulted in some very bitter divisions and some horrible behavior. And some of those divisions last to this day. When I was taught about this Reformation period in history, when I was in college and in seminary, it was usually from a triumphalist perspective, as if everything went haywire in the Middle Ages. But in the Reformation, we set it straight. And, it was, and because I went to it, but the schools I went to, the story was, Protestants good, Catholics bad, Protestants won, yay. Aren't mm-hmm. we on the right team? And, and as I look back now, I can see some mm-hmm. of the good stuff that happened, and we can call attention to it. Yep. But I also see much reason for sadness.
3: Yeah.
0: This was not our finest hour. These Christians sometimes resorted to very unChristian ways of resolving their differences. A couple of examples: At Times they actually went to war with each other. Yep. One of the earliest Swiss reformers he's got the coolest name in all of this era <laughs> Ulrich Zwingli. Name your grandchildren or something like that. Uh, Ulrich Zwingli was actually killed in battle fighting Catholics with the sword.
2: I'm not laughing because that's a really sad thing. What I'm laughing is I'm, I'm, I, I'm a little tired this week, and you said zwingly, and I'm hearing that song, I'm going to swing from the chandelier.
0: Number one, that's way before my time. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and number two, go ahead.
2: <laughs> we had a chandelier. Oh, yeah, it's been a week. Anyway, so yes, they did, they went to war with each other. Christians also imprisoned each other. Like John of the Cross in Spain, who was kidnapped, he was a monk, and he was kidnapped by his fellow monks who didn't like his reforms. And they held him prisoner in a tiny room in a monastery in Toledo, Spain. They deprived him of food and beat him regularly almost every day for nine months. Um, people who have studied his life say that he, he probably died from the lasting effects of this deprivation and torture. Um, in the room, from the depths, he's just trapped. He's stripped of everything except God. And from the depths of his suffering, words about the love of Christ began rising up out of his soul. And when he, he escaped one dark night through his window, he later went on to write down some of those words into some of the most beautiful poetry in the Spanish language. He's one of the national poets of Spain. Poems like The Dark Night." like living flame of love, that speak of the kind of union that we can experience of our oneness in Christ when everything has been stripped away from us. This was just a a remarkable experience in the midst of terrible experience. But as I said, he escaped one dark night through his window, and in time, his brothers received him, and they gave him authority to institute the much-needed reforms that he was making.
0: They imprisoned each other, and sometimes that prison term ended with somebody's beheading, decapitation. Thomas More was one of those. He was chancellor of all of England, number two, under the king, he's regarded today as a saint by the Catholic Church. Yep. He had his head chopped off on orders of King Henry VIII again. Lovely guy, simply yeah. because he didn't agree that the king should be the head of the church.
2: Yeah, and maybe perhaps worst of all, they burnt each other at the stake, like they did John Huss a century before, and then continued to do by the hundreds and thousands. Um. I want to tell you a story of one of my minor historical heroes. Her, she's fairly unknown in history, but it's a woman named Anne Askew. Anne Askew was the only woman on record ever to be racked in the Tower of London because even the, the guys, even though they were racking each other, they'd agreed we shouldn't do this to women. But they did it to her. They racked her in the Tower of London, and because she couldn't walk after that, they sat her in a chair and took her on a cart out to be publicly burned at the stake. Why did they do this to her? Because this well-educated noblewoman secretly became a Protestant. And then she chose and felt called by God to go out and become what they called then a public gospeler, a gospeler. Someone who proclaimed the scriptures to the poor and the uneducated and taught them. And she was very good at it. She got quite a reputation. She became quite popular. So much so that King Henry VIII's last wife of six, Catherine Parr, who was also at that time secretly Protestant, invited her to come in and teach her ladies-in-waiting. Well, word got out that Catherine had done this. And some of Henry's officials who wanted Catherine either divorced or dead went and arrested Anne on heresy charges and then racked her, not because of heresy, but because they wanted information on Catherine so that they could either have Henry divorce her or kill her. To Anne's credit, she refused. On the rack, she refused to give them any details about Catherine. And so she suffered the brutal consequences And then shortly afterward, Henry died. And his oldest daughter, this is between Henry and Elizabeth, that Tony was just talking about, his oldest daughter, a Catholic, became Queen Mary I. And she just continued these brutal persecutions. It's said that she burned at least 300 Protestant dissenters at the stake in her five-year reign. So no wonder they called her Bloody Mary.
0: You see that this was both sides doing this. This was just this and and to be fair to them, this is the way you resolved your differences in the 16th century. Christians? The Anabaptists, by the way, stand out as the the heroes in this. They did not do they got they they got the receiving end of it, but didn't do it to others. Yep. Well, how did this affect how they went about knowing God? We've been asking that question each of these weeks in this series. And it's hard to answer it for this particular time period because they ended up all over the place, all these different movements with different practice. Some of these Reformation movements resulted in, in worship practices that we might call high church. Have you ever heard that phrase before? High church is kind of a church practices where there's lots of liturgy and massive architecture and the use of incense and, and organs, and you wear the robes or other vestments and a fairly structured worship experience. Mm -hmm. Catholics, Episcopalians, Lutherans tend to lean in that direction. And others chose worship practices that were at the other end of the spectrum, low church. So the Presbyterians of this era, for instance, forbade the use of musical instruments, and you were not allowed to sing anything but psalms. And they abolished all the artwork. They smashed all the artwork in the churches. Many, maybe most, were somewhere in between those two extremes, And what made it more complicated was probably a good thing. They worshipped in many languages, too, instead of being forced to worship in a language, Latin, that they did not know. This was common in in the Middle Ages. And they prayed in all those different languages, too. So any sense of unity in the body of Christ really didn't survive this time period. They're all over the place. And it became easy, too easy after a while, to give up even trying to understand each other and instead just label everybody else as wrong, while we, whoever we are, we just do our own thing, thinking that we're the right ones. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that if I were wrong, I'd know it? (laughs) In the process, probably all of them missed out on some of the goodness of God. They got put into little narrow boxes, decrying all the other boxes. And that's the sad part. There is a good part here. There is still something that can attract us to them. Underneath all the fighting about the hows of knowing God, there was still much the same why. What drove them, what inspired them is they did want to reform things because they shared the same longing and invitation to know God better, to worship God better, to help other people experience God better. They just disagreed on how to do that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And by the way, here we are, 21st century, so do we.
2: Yeah, we do too. So what can we learn from their story for our own lives and our own time? Both, as we said earlier, from what they did right, but also what can we learn not just to do, but what not to do from looking honestly at what they did wrong? Well, first, we need to honor and learn from each other. I mean, it sounds so basic, but we're still struggling with that, aren't we, in the church today? How might Christianity look today if our spiritual ancestors in the 16th century had been more respectful about their differences? If, if maybe they had practiced forgiveness rather than punishing other people's offenses? If they had actually followed the scripture that they were defending, like Romans fourteen nineteen, what if they had lived this out? So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. What might it be like today if they had done that then?
0: I'll give you an example of this. Martin Luther, who's the big name in the 16th century, a fascinating character, was famous for his capacity to insult his critics and opponents. So someone has hilariously... Compiled a bunch of his more dramatic insults and put it online. So you can yes. benefit from Martin Luther's insult. Seriously, it's a, um, it's a insult, Martin Luther insult generator. I guess we're now, oh, there you go. There are. it is. Yeah, so and, you just and click we, the button. We don't and
2: know what's going to come up. We don't know. His this language. is random. So
0: Ooh. our apologies if there's some language that Martin Luther used that we would not, but he used a lot of language that we would not. So, yeah. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> we can't I can't I can't read some of these <laughs> out loud. How is it that you drivel like people in their second childhood? That's loud. That's loud. Uh, Indeed, you're you are by by cheated
2: and deceived by falsehood. And that is what oh and that is what all like you, you deserve. deserve. Yeah. Okay.
0: Let's give us Sodom and Gomorrah, which God overwhelmed the days of Odafar and must seem a mere jest and prelude compared with your abominations. Really? <laughs> give us at least one more here. You, however, keep asking. I well, ask for trouble and
3: want to be hit over the head.
2: <laughs> Insult one me more. again you are such a coward that you try to catch every word and evaluate it like a man who tries to trap the wind in his coat. And that's pretty wise. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good.
0: Oh, yeah. But there, there, let's just say there are some that are far more colorful than, uh, than those. Yeah,
2: and, and if you're bored sometime whatever. and you know, <laughs> just don't have anything to do, you can go look that
0: up. So we'll laugh a little bit, but mm-hmm. really, was this the tone that we needed to take in order to resolve right. the difficulties of the time? How much treasure the entire history of our faith might we be able to tap into today? If Western Christianity hadn't gotten so narrow and tight during this era, this is where we are, our American Christianity, this is what we've inherited. And so, because it got so narrow and tight and divisive, we kind of, that culture has been passed down to us a bit. How might our world look today if Christians had learned to disagree in love back then? Yeah. Do you think people would, more people would take Christians seriously? Maybe be drawn to the love of Jesus as a result? So we keep saying we're going to learn from them, not, yeah. what, not just what to do, because there was some goodness in there, but also what not to do. Yeah. And let us define our own selves by what we not by what we're against, but by what and who we live
2: for. Yeah.
0: And that's the spirit we try to we try to maintain here at Rosanna. Yeah. Anyway.
2: I yeah, and second, another thing that we can learn from the from our Reformation brothers and sisters is that they remind us that we need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As we've already seen during the Middle Ages, Western Christianity saw God as transcended. Remember, it was all high and lifted up, and God is distant, and God is angry, an angry judge. And here were these Christians, you know, we're down here on the ground, we're just sinful, wretched worms separated from God by an insurmountable gap. And that was pretty much their understanding. But during, in the Middle Ages, during this period, though, they began remembering that God chose to bridge that gap by becoming human in Jesus. No, we can't work our way up to God, and besides, there's no ladder anyway. God bridged the gap in Jesus God came to be with us. God was for us. God wanted to share a personal relationship right here on earth with us. And as we've talked before about what Christian mysticism is, the reformers, many of the reformers were mystics in the sense of having a direct personal experience with God. It's more like the early church, and in this time period, they were looking back because things had gotten so corrupt that they were trying to remember what, what, what it must have, what must have it have been like to walk on dusty roads with Jesus, to just have nothing, to have no church buildings, to just—they called it the Via Apostolica. They were trying to get back to basics. And in that process, you know, they started to remember that their identity was not based in church doctrines or church membership. That's not what made them a Christian. The church is important and the community is important, but at the core of it all is a life-changing personal belief and experience and relationship with Jesus. Teresa of Avila, again, one of my favorites, is a beautiful example of of um, this kind of dangerous personal relationship with Jesus at the time. She lived in Spain, 16th century, as a cloistered nun, and with the Inquisition in full swing, and women forbidden to teach men or write theology. This woman wrote in detail and talked in detail about her radical personal relationship with Jesus. She wrote about her experience of seeing a vision of the crucified Jesus in the hallway of her convent, and that Jesus just stood there, bloody, beaten, crown of thorns, looking at her. It undid her. Undid her. Because this, remember, pendulum swings through history. It had swung way out into transcendent, you know, glorious Lord, yes, yes, But in this time period, it's swinging back to, wait a minute, he was human too. And we crucified him. After that experience, she was 40 years old at that time. She experienced what we today would call a conversion. She fell in love with him. And the reforms followed for the rest of her life until she was in her 60s. And she wrote about Jesus speaking to her directly, you know, outside the church, outside the priests, outside the spiritual directors and all of the other leaders. That alone was so heretical that that could have gotten her killed at the Inquisition. Especially since Jesus was saying things like this, I would create the world again just to hear you say you love me. Is that radical? That was unheard of. Uh, once in prayer, she, she writes about um, Jesus coming to her and asking her, well, who are you? And she replied, I'm Teresa of Jesus. And who are you? To which he responded, I'm Jesus of Teresa. Yeah, that gets you burned at the stake. And yet, Teresa, she just kept writing and reforming. And just passionately loving Jesus and putting it out there for everyone to see. And what I love is, at the time, she could have been killed for doing that. It took until 1970 for her to be named the first of only four women doctors of the church. Doctors of the church are those who make significant contributions in theology and scripture. it's a wonderful thing. So let's learn from the, from the Reformers, both the Catholics and the Protestants, that personal relationship with, and the Anabaptists, the personal relationship with God in Christ, it really matters. And that our shared relationship with God as the body of Christ, it's not just that we go off and it's me and Jesus alone. no. We have that experience which brings us into his body. So we are grafted into this community that's meant to be a community of love that looks like him and that transforms us in the process. So let's learn that maybe we can be willing to do in our time what they couldn't do in theirs to honor our honest differences with all Christians To seek to understand, even if we disagree. To refuse to disrespect each other, even though we may debate each other. Finding ways somehow to love the way that Jesus loves. And to live together peacefully and build each other up.
0: And one more comment on that. Mm -hmm. We need also to remember what matters most. They teach us that. What matters is not just the destination, but the way we get there. In their own time, there was a philosopher named Nikolai Machiavelli. You probably have heard of him. He had good perfume. Um, no. They seem to, to believe that the end justifies the means. That's what he had promoted. Is justice can never be achieved through unjust means. Goodness cannot be experienced by doing evil. In the end, those who resorted to these very unchristian ways became more Machiavellian than Machiavelli himself. And they reveal the spiritual principle. Do you guys know this? Those you have been around Hosanna a while probably do. That which we resist the hardest often has or finds roots in us. So while They're pushing back against the forces of evil in the world. They are evil, take root in their heart, and they do evil things to one another in the name of Jesus.
3: Yeah.
0: So what matters most? Even when they mess it up, The deep desire of most of the reformers was to dig down below the corruption and the power struggles and all the minutiae and all the jazz that the church had piled up in those days to discover this God who is with us and who loves us. That's what matters most to us.
2: Yes, and also in this period, there was a a woman we actually talked about in our first message when we were um, in COVID, lockdown. Oh, yeah. Right, Julian of Norwich at this time learned something about love. Um, she was ill she was in, and near death. She was about in her 20s, and the Lord gave her a series of visions. She did recover, and for the next 20 years, she prayed and prayed to understand what these visions meant, and she wrote about it. Um, and finally... After 20 years, the Spirit answered, and she recorded it for us. What, what? Do you wish to know our Lord's meaning in this thing? Know it well. Love was his meaning. Who reveals it to you? Love. What did he reveal to you? Love. Why does he reveal it to you? For love. So I was taught that love is our Lord's meaning. And I saw very certainly in this and in everything that before God made us, he loved us, which love has never abated and never shall be. Oh, my gosh. That's the heart of the matter.
0: And a love relationship will result in practices, relational practices, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: by which we get to know each other more fully, more intimately. And so we've been asking every week, what are the spiritual practices of the people of this era? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which ones were important to them? Which ones might we benefit from as well? These are going to start to sound a little bit more familiar because we're getting closer to our own time, and they influenced us. So, for instance, hymn singing. You might might not believe this, but ordinary worshipers really didn't sing much before the Reformation. They were sung too, But now in the Reformation, they do a lot of singing, and people are writing hymns for them. So Martin Luther, again, he wrote some of them himself, (laughs) Every Christmas, most of us sing one of his his most famous one, Away right. in a, a Manger." That's Martin Luther. He had that gentle side, too. No insults in there at all. <laughs> and then he wrote one of the most boisterous hymns in the Christian hymn book, Un Festerberg ist Unser Gott. It's the German. A mighty fortress is our God.
3: Yeah.
0: You guys know that one, don't you? The bulwark never fails. Or he admits the flood. as much as I Yeah. Yeah. Ordinary people read scripture for the first time in a long time.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It had been previously read to them, but in a language they could not understand. So Erasmus translates it into Greek, and then other scholars translate the Greek into their own languages. Martin Luther translated it into German. Yep. Some of the reformers are so passionate about this that they risked their lives to do it. William Tyndale was strangled to death by orders of King Henry VIII mm-hmm. for translating the Bible into English. Yep. Killed for it. Yep. They also continued to practice baptism. Been doing that all along, but now that me- the meaning of that ritual changed a bit among the Protestants. It was now less about the salvation of an infant who could not choose for themselves, but it reflected a commitment to a faith community and from a faith community, a place and people where one could be nurtured in a faith and then later make a decision of their own. That's why the Anabaptists, as Joanne said earlier, went so far as to denounce infant baptism, renounce it, and they would re-baptize people who had been baptized as infants. When they became adults, and could make that that's, that's decision themselves. That's what Anabaptist means. It's not some girl's name. Um, Anna means again, so they would baptize again at yeah. uh, all believers. The Anabaptists also practice foot washing, mm-hmm. a practice from what Jesus did of his disciples at the Last Supper. It's to emphasize humility and servanthood in the community oh. of faith. Yes. So we're serving one another even to the point of symbolically washing each other's feet.
2: Yeah. And, you know, across the map and the the traditions, all of the many of this time, all Christian reformers, in one way or another, were committed to one important spiritual discipline, self-examination, self-awareness. This had always been a part of Christian practice, right? Beginning with the early church. A few weeks ago, we practiced this discipline of self-examination before we shared communion together. Remember that? But during the Reformation period, self examination took on an e- even deeper significance as a way not only to be aware of sins, things we're doing wrong that we need to receive forgiveness for, but also to become aware of God's love, God's abiding presence with us in every moment inside or outside a church building. One more story. Ignatius of Loyola, yes, another Spanish Catholic reformer. Ignatius was um, a military man. He was wounded in the Battle of Pamplona. Cannonball, shattered his leg. Says something about him that some of his enemies took him uh, off the field, and he eventually was brought to his uncle's, uncle's villa where he recuperated for a very long time the bones were set they healed wrong after months and so they broke them again and as he's laying there he's just becoming so very aware of what's happening inside of him as a result of this noticing he he gave us the first systematic treatment of discernment in the christian tradition how do we know what's happening how do we know if it's god how do we know if it's us how, How do we know the source of all of these movements inside of us? As a result, he had a, like Teresa, like so many of these folks, had transformative experience with the living Christ. And it it so reordered everything. He wanted everybody, everybody to experience this same thing. So he went into a cave for nearly a year, and he kept thinking back about how did this happen? And what he did was he, he put together a prayer pilgrimage path. He spent nearly a year writing the spiritual exercises. What are they? They're an intensive set of prayer and spiritual exercises which have been transforming Christians' lives for over 500 years. They're, they're actually um, experiencing a resurgence today, especially among evangelical Christians. I'm trained to offer them. They were originally created as a 30-day retreat. That's the way I did them. Went away, actually, to a Jesuit community in silence for 35 days. Going deep, deep, deep with God and the scriptures. But most folks today don't have an available extra 30 days in which to do them, so they've been modified um, to be done. It's called the Retreat in Everyday Life, 28 to 30 Weeks praying every day for about an hour during all that time. And they, they're modified, so any Christian, Protestants, Anabaptists, anyone, can experience them. The Ignatian exercises include so many different forms of prayer. But underlying them all is a prayer practice that helps us to grow in awareness. Okay, The awareness of God, the awareness of every aspect of ourselves, of our lives, of in, interior movements, so that we can, over time, begin to recognize patterns of both sin and grace within us, how we make choices so unconsciously, so we grow in awareness, and we then learn to discern well and make God-honoring choices. Why? So we can live more and more fully in the freedom that Christ has set us free to enjoy. So each week, we've been practicing a practice from our chosen era today, with a, a few moments that we have left, we're going to practice this awareness prayer from the spiritual exercises. It's called the examen. There are different versions of it, but the essence is the same. It's a very simple prayer. What we do is first, in a moment, we're going to close our eyes and just notice God's presence. And then you're going to notice your responses. And we do this prayer every day in our daily life. And if we do this prayer every day in our daily life, our awareness will grow throughout the day so you can live far more intentionally and aware of what is it that God is wanting in any given moment, what is really going on here. So the examen, it's often prayed at night as a review of the day, you know, the priest that you've just lived. But it can be done at any time, like right now. So as I said, we're going to use a very simple version in three steps. And since this is the morning, you don't have much of this day to reflect on. So let's reflect back over the last 24 hours. All right, so let's begin by closing our eyes. If you you don't want to participate, you can leave your eyes open. As you close your eyes, just remember, God's present with you right now. God wants to awaken you, to open your heart, to you know, give you clarity of mind so you can actually see the ways that you're reacting all day long so that you can become very intentional about the way you live. So remember, he's present right now. Now here's three things for you to consider. First, what gifts was I offered today? What gifts was I offered in the last 24 hours? Just take a look back. And then notice, how did you respond? And is there anything that God now wants you to notice? Right? Listen and talk with So as you notice the gifts and your responses and you talk with God, get a sense of what's God wanting for you. Offer some gratitude. Because whether the gift was difficult, a hard gift, or a welcome gift, it's grace. So offer God some gratitude. And then we move into the second part of this uh, examine. What challenges were you presented with over the last 24 hours? And what was your response? And is there anything God wants you to know now? Just take a moment to listen and become aware of God. And sometimes we notice that we don't like the way we reacted to a challenge. So you can take a few moments, forgive yourself, and receive God's forgiveness because God understands. And tell God how you want to react differently. And then you move on to the third part of the prayer, which is what invitations are you sensing from God as a result of this examen? What are your hopes for tomorrow as a result of your conversation with God? Are there changes that you want to make? Take a moment. Ask God for the grace you need in order for these changes to happen and for you to accept God's invitations for tomorrow. We're going to invite you to continue this conversation. And, you know, you don't have to be a slave to it. But seriously, doing this simple prayer at the end of every day, what were the gifts, the challenges, the invitations and hopes for tomorrow? Oh, my gosh. It, it can take five minutes like it just did. That was about five minutes. It can take a half an hour Sometimes. The time doesn't matter. What matters is you are praying in a way that you're allowing God to wake you up in your own life, and it really makes a difference.
0: Thanks for hanging in there with us a couple extra minutes. We're closed today with a blessing. This one is from the Anglican tradition. We talked about that. I love it. Mm -hmm. May we leave this place understanding that this is the beginning May we depart today knowing that the best part of our faith is yet to come. Yes. And may the exhilarating mystery of God, the courage, listen to this phrase, of the great reformer, Jesus. Yes. And the dynamic nudging of the Spirit excite us. Excite us as we become reformers for the divine. Amen. 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 Amen.
2: Amen. Go Thank with you. that wow. blessing in
0: your ears. If you leave, if you're staying for the congregational meeting, we will meet in these two sections. Join us here as soon as we can get organized, like 10 minutes from now, okay? So. <laughs>